Welcome to TMI, a podcast by Henry Ford Allegiance Health. Today we have something a little bit different planned. Um, We've changed up the format so we can do a ladies only podcast today. So gentlemen, time to put on your earmuffs. So instead of Dave hosting, um, you've got Jen and Dawn. Hi, Dawn. Thanks for joining. Hello, Jen. Thank you for inviting me to the conversation today. Yep. So why don't you start out by kind of telling us who do we have with us? Sure. And what are we going to be talking about? Okay. Well, today we have two physicians with us that are with Henry Ford Allegiance Health. We have Dr. Shoshana Ambani and Dr. Diana Fliss, both plastic surgeons at Henry Ford Allegiance Plastic Surgery here in town. And we're going to be talking about both cosmetic and reconstructive plastic surgery for women. Awesome. Welcome, Dr. Ambani and Dr. Fliss. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank Welcome. you so much. So I guess we can kind of just jump into it. And why don't we start out by just kind of defining what cosmetic surgery is and what reconstructive surgery is? Well, plastic surgery encompasses both cosmetic and reconstructive surgery, as we all know. So reconstructive surgery is mainly trying to improve uh, something that's not normal to something that's normal again. And then cosmetic surgery is more like enhancing what's normal. Okay. Gotcha. Very cool. So um, why don't we talk about some of the more complex reconstructive surgeon or reconstructive procedures that you guys do? So we do everything from kind of breast reconstruction with uh, cancer patients to help build a new breast so they can feel whole again. And we also do a lot of skin cancer resection uh, for skin cancer, sometimes already done by the Mohs surgeon or by the dermatologist. And then we sort of fill the hole. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes we're doing a little bit more complex uh, local flaps, taking tissue from another area and placing it in that area or skin graft. And we try to hide all the incisions the best we can within the normal tension lines and skin creases. Yeah, to skin try cancer, oh, so sorry. <laughs> skin cancer is actually pretty common. It's one of our most common types of operations that we have to deal with mm-hmm. in terms of reconstruction. So uh, for example, the other day, um, there was a lady who had a basal cell carcinoma on the ear. The entire third of her upper ear was gone. After resection, yeah. so uh, as plastic surgeons, uh, we have to define or f- figure out a way to reconstruct that defect so that she can wear glasses again. Wow! So okay. ended up moving a little flap from the side of her ear to the top of her ear, and now she can still wear glasses. Oh wow, that's awesome! So, what are some of the other like areas that are a little bit more difficult? Like, I would imagine probably something on the head is probably kind of difficult to cover up and all of that. Can you talk about any of right. that? Yeah, head and neck reconstruction. I mean, so people don't, uh, I I want people to realize that plastic surgeons, we do all types of things, some of the easy stuff and the cosmetic things and also reconstruction. So one of the more complex things that we do is transplanting tissue from one part of the body to another Mm -hmm. part of the body, say for head and neck reconstruction, for example. And over here, it's relatively rare, but when we have to do it, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. So for example, if someone has a big, um, big defect of the scalp and there's a big implant that needs to be covered with soft tissue. We can take tissue from the back, transplant it into the neck, cover up the titanium implant or whatnot, um, and have the patient heal that way. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a more, co- more of the complex type of um, reconstructions that we can do as plastic surgeons, hooking up arteries and veins underneath the microscope. Wow. That's really amazing. It is. And then so all the way from that to something more cosmetic that will help somebody feel more self-confident about their appearance. So what are those kinds of procedures that you do? So everything from breast augmentation to facelift, uh, upper lip lift, 
also filler and Botox, and we also specialize in uh, just skincare in general as well for our patients um, because maintenance is important as well as uh, the surgical aspect. Sure. Um, tummy tucks, especially uh, we have a lot of mothers coming to mm -hmm. see us after multiple pregnancies. So we do things like mommy makeovers, which is usually a, a tummy tuck with a breast, breast augmentation and sometimes a lift. Okay, right. great. Awesome. Those yeah. are actually really fun to do when you meet these patients. Everyone is just super excited to go through a transformation because they've they've done their duty, they've had right. children, they've done the breastfeeding, yep. and now it's time to do something for themselves. That's I think right. that's really great. I mean, you shouldn't have to choose between having children and having your body. It would be nice <laughs> yeah. to feel like yourself afterwards. Very true. <laughs> so say someone wants to have something done. Like, what's the, what's the first step? Like, if they are never had plastic surgery, never considered anything... What types of things are people asking you, I guess? Well, first the patient has to decide on what they want, what mm -hmm. their concerns are, and what their goals are from the surgery. And then they come, they meet us in consultation, mm -hmm. and then we can kind of decide, we can take what their goals are and what their thoughts are and decide what's possible. Okay. Because, you know, on a typical 40-year-old woman, you're not going to end up looking like one of the models in Cosmopolitan. Sure. And yeah. um, so... Part of our job, too, is to bring a patient um, to the realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. But we always want to uh, restore confidence in our patients and give them a look that they're going to be happy with and that they're going to be confident. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier some things like Botox and fillers and kind of non-surgical things. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about that, because I can imagine if somebody's a little apprehensive about actually having a surgery, they might prefer to start on that end of things. Yes, um, Botox and filler tend to be sort of the gateway. Yes, right. <laughs> the gateway to uh, plastic surgery. But just because you do Botox and fillers doesn't mean that you're ever going to end up getting surgery. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's really a, a personal preference. Um, I would say start with skincare too, though. Start start with skincare first, and then maybe Botox and fillers on top of that. Yes, and prevention. Yeah, prevention. Yeah, for sunscreen. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sunscreen is probably the cheapest anti-aging. Uh, thing that you can do for yourself and you have to start early and it's never too late to start. That's awesome. So if I wanted to look a little bit younger, fresher, and you kind of said probably skincare would be, and I have a limited budget, would that be kind of what you would recommend like someone would start with then? I would say so. I mean, um, start with that. Um, come and see us for a consultation because we can get you on the right path, at least. Just mm -hmm. examine your skin, examine your features, because not everyone actually knows what they really want. They want to look sure. refreshed, but they don't know how exactly. So it's nice to have another set of eyes to take a look, and then you can go from there. So you don't have to necessarily have it all figured out by the time you set up an appointment with you guys. That's what you guys are for. <laughs> Some <laughs> patients do. Some patients say, oh, you know what? I definitely need my lips filled. Okay. So. They knock on Dr. Fliss's door. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a patients who do a lot of research, and they're mm -hmm. even requesting the type of neurotoxin, which okay. is Botox or Dysport, or the type of filler. But sometimes it's not always appropriate, and we have to kind of steer them in the right direction. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if they kind of just have unrealistic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ideas and what they can what they can do. Jen, I understand you're going to have a minor procedure. I Ooh, am. What's that now? I am going to try out Botox. So Ooh. I'm super excited. Um, I'm a little nervous, but like I'm, I guess I've thought about it for a long time, and it's just like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And it's I think it's fine, and I'm excited, and I'm just hoping, I think just 
I don't even know what I'm hoping for. And so that's why I'm excited, you know, to talk to you and find out like, what would you recommend? And you know, what should I expect and all of that? So I'm pretty excited. Yes, I think we can do a good job relaxing the um, wrinkles between your mm-hmm. eyebrows and also That's the forehead. Was, yep, and Perfect. preventing the uh, future crow's feet and okay. give you a little bit of a lateral brow lift, all with some uh, Botox or Dysport. Nice. Yeah, I've definitely heard about patient um, concerns or just uh, apprehensions about getting Botox, and so uh, if they've never had it before, we always recommend coming in for a consultation, mm-hmm. take a looking at your take a look at your face, um, and then maybe just starting off with a little sprinkle. Nice. <laughs> yes, we um, are very much so for the natural look in yep. our patients. And um, we by no means do a frozen forehead um, because I think that just looks very unnatural, especially over time. And it's good to have a a little bit of movement and Mm -hmm. it just gives you a a more natural look. And you also just, as soon as your Botox hits in, you feel very refreshed. Awesome. Dr. Fliss, you mentioned some preventative wrinkling with the Botox as well. Could you talk about that? I don't think people realize it can be used that way. Yes, actually, the best time to start is when you first start to see a little bit of a wrinkle, and we call it a a static wrinkle, is a wrinkle at rest when you're not animating. Um, And so that's really the best time when you first start to notice those, and then they will actually completely smooth out with uh, the help of Botox or Dysport. And um, if if nothing is done in the meantime, and then you develop a more uh, defined wrinkle and it becomes very deep with time, Mm Um, then the at best you can kind of hope to soften it, and at that point you maybe need something like filler, okay, a little bit to um, help fill in the crease as well. Okay. Um, so, at what age would someone potentially start considering like a preventative type of procedure? Then is that are you recommending like in their twenties, or you thinking more like your thirties? It, it depends on the patient. Um, some people animate more, mm-hmm. and so they're going to be more prone to developing these deeper lines and wrinkles. Sure. Um, it also depends on what they've been doing for skincare all their life, too, up to that yep. point. So they can be pretty young, you know, probably 20s. Gotcha. Um, just for prevention, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not uncommon. Yeah. So, Jen, you had mentioned cost, and Mm -hmm. I know we talked about the upper lip lift a a smidge just earlier. Mm -hmm. What would be the cost associated with that kind of procedure? So an upper lip lift is something we would do in the office in general, um, and that would be about three to $4,000 depending on the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a procedure that's for a patient with an elongated distance from the base of their nose to their upper lip, and that elongates over time. Some people just have uh, more of a a doughy skin where that is a really long distance from a younger age. Um, and some people are just sick of getting lip filler, and, and sometimes uh, different practitioners can cause the lip to look a little bit unnatural with uh, prolonged use of filler. And uh, patients are just sort of sick of that look, and they want a more natural, lifted, uh, sexier look to their upper lip. And we just take out a little bit of skin uh, between the nose and the upper lip, and it's all at the base of the nose, and the incision is completely hidden. Okay. And it gives that kind of a sexier, more youthful look to the lip. Interesting. I never even knew about an upper lip lift before. I didn't either. That's awesome. Are there any other procedures like that that maybe we haven't heard of that that people do come in asking for or maybe you educate them about? Um, Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of procedures for women that uh, that we have sort of in our back pocket, you could Mm -hmm. say. 
Um, another procedure that women uh, commonly don't necessarily know about um, but become very interested is a, a labiaplasty. Okay. So wow. labiaplasty is a surger- surgery that's become more popular in uh, recent times. Um, and really, women are becoming really more conscious about how things look down there. Mm-hmm. And um, there's several articles that have been com- come out with uh, in popular fashion magazines, such as Women's Health. They had the six different types of labia. Oh my. Um, there's even artwork now, The Great Wall of Vagina um, by Jamie <laughs> McCartney. And it just, he literally took 400 women and plaster casted the vagina. And it's really very interesting to look at because... None, none, sorry, no vagina is the same. Right. Um, because some women have, you know, so the labia minora, which are the inner lips, and then there's the major, labia majora, which are the, the outer lips. Um, every, everyone looks the same. And really there's, so there is this, I think, misconception in the media of like the designer vagina. Okay. But really sometimes it's more of a functional procedure rather than a cosmetic one. Um, because patients, their labia minora can become elongated with childbirth or say they had a tear during uh, childbirth and the way their physician sewed it up isn't necessarily um, aesthetically pleasing to them. Um, also, there's there can be patients who have a very dark color to the, in, the inner, um, the labia minora. Uh, also, it can... Ca- when they are elongated, they can catch on clothing. Uh, they may be unable to insert a tampon because of the redundancy of their skin there. And also even I've heard complaints such as pain when even riding a bike or, okay. or wow. sitting down or wearing tight jeans. Um, and we even have very young patients coming in with these with these complaints. And, uh, and it can be uh, anything from reduction of the uh, inner lips, the labia minora, or uh, rejuvenation even of the labia majora because as women age they get some fat atrophy so it kind of shrinks down a little bit maybe it looks a little bit wrinkled um, and also with childbirth so they want a full a fuller um, more rejuvenated look sometimes sure. and so we can do fat grafting or excision there um, and the procedure is really tailored uh, to the specific complaints and the goals of the patient mm-hmm. and it's usually a personal choice and it's not really driven by any male influence that's okay. Great. Yeah, that was kind of a question that we had talked about. Like, you know, is this, well, I guess how common is it? And then is this, is it a cosmetic procedure or does insurance cover that at all? Because it, it seems like there might be. If there's a functional issue, issue yeah. yeah. With a lot of things that we do, there's a kind of a crossover mm-hmm. because whether it is more functional or whether it is more uh, cosmetically driven. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have both types of patients. So okay. I've definitely had patients who've gotten it done for functional reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a practical standpoint, it can be done either in the operating room for a patient comfort or even in underneath local anesthesia with topical and injectable local anesthesia in the office. So okay. well, it depends on their needs. Sure. It depends on how extensive the labioplasty would have to be. Sure. Um, but I think uh, even patients um, who want it for functional reasons, I think that they do great afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a improvement in quality of life that's great that's and that is something that i don't think it's not very yeah we don't talk about it it's it's common but we don't talk about it don't talk about it right right and that's kind of why we wanted you guys to be here so we can like just ask these questions that someone might be way too scared to ask about so we really appreciate your being so candid about that too (laughs) that's awesome in several times you guys have talked about you want things to wherever you're operating you want or doing a procedure you want it to look natural and i was kind of 
glad to hear that because I think everybody has seen someone that you know they've had a facelift or too much Botox or too much filler, something that looks Mm -hmm. not right. And so are there kind of um, like mini facelifts or something? So if you don't want something so drastic? Mm -hmm. There are all types of facelifts, but um, it really depends on the patient. So we really customize and individualize our treatment plans for each patient because their skin is different, the way they heal is different, their comorbidities are different. So Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to say exactly, oh, you need this type of facelift until we actually examine them in person. Sure. Okay. Great. But they're all different types. They're tinier. They're tinier versions of the classic facelift. So mm-hmm. you got the classic facelift. You have the mid facelift. You have a lifestyle lift. What's um, that one? <laughs> well, it's something that we don't necessarily recommend because it, okay. I would say the longevity of that outcome would probably be one to three years. What do you say? Okay. Yeah, but it's really just taking skin only just to get that little nip tuck that everybody wants when they're looking in the mirror and they pinch their cheeks. Yep. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit of that nip tuck. Um, it's great for a little bit. It doesn't last very long. Okay. Um, but we do talk to our patients extensively about the risks and benefits and mm-hmm. um, the possible scarring and the longevity. And ultimately, it's up to us together to make that decision whether they want to go through with that. Gotcha. What's the type of recovery for, like, if you have some sort of facial surgery, then what are you looking at for time in hiding, or is that not even necessary? (laughs) Well, yeah, there's usually probably at least a couple days, depending from the very minor procedure to the major procedures. But for a typical facelift, uh, you have about two to three weeks where you can probably at that point put makeup on, go to the grocery store, and okay. someone who doesn't know you wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. And more of a three-month time period between when you could probably go makeup-free and even your family wouldn't notice. Gotcha. And uh, about one year to be completely healed for your incisions to fade and hopefully to a thin white line and... Uh, and you're kind of sort of free free to go. Nice. So one of my favorite procedures to do are um, bilateral upper and lower lid blepharoplasty, mm-hmm. and that's for um, eyelid rejuvenation. It could be done for cosmetic reasons in terms of the upper lids, uh, mm-hmm. cosmetic um, reasons, or for functional reasons if they're having difficulty seeing because the brows are so droopy or there's too much eye, eyelid skin sitting on the eyelashes. So um, what, that's one of my favorite types of surgeries to do, and I always tell patients, don't plan any glamour shots for the next three to four weeks just to yep. make sure all your bruising is gone. Minimum three to four weeks. Gotcha. Because you never know if they have a little blood vessel or they have yep. some extra bruising. You don't want them to go and get their uh, wedding photos for <laughs> right sure. after. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Usually before any major event, we recommend three months. Okay. At least to allow for healing and everything to settle, a swelling to go down. Gotcha. Okay. And would you ever refuse to do a procedure or surgery that someone requests? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are many reasons why I would refuse this, to do surgery. Um, number one, we have to make sure they're a good surgical candidate. Mm-hmm. We, have to make, we have to make sure that they're healthy, that they can undergo surgery if it's under general anesthesia, for example, from a cardiac standpoint, pulmonary standpoint, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, from um, another surgical standpoint, um, we do not like to do any elective surgery on smokers because smoking is um, a very serious problem that can cause issues with wound healing, infections, and it really increases complication rates. So any elective surgery, um, I would say no in smokers. They have to be, they have to have nicotine out of their system before we do any kind of incisions. Awesome. And it's healthier anyway. And there's a test for it. 
There is a test. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, you know, um, we always talk about and <laughs> we always we always talk about smoking cessation, how important it is. And maybe mm-hmm. um, uh, folks don't always realize what the the physiology is behind it. But when you have nicotine in your system, it constricts your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. That means your blood cannot be carried to the wounds that need to heal. And your blood carries oxygen and nutrients. So if you can't get oxygen nutrients to the areas that need to heal, those areas are prone to breakdown and infection and all the bad things. Right. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, another question that I don't think we added to our little questions for you, but I I know a lot of people talk about liposuction. And is that something that, so say someone, you know, they've lost a lot of weight, but they still have a lot of cellulite. What can, is that what you would recommend? Is that liposuction or is there really not much you can do? So liposuction is more of a a tool after weight loss. Okay. So it's not a solution for weight loss. Sure. Um, and so it's something you can do more for in terms of sculpting after mm-hmm. someone has sort of achieved a more ideal look for themselves. Um, it is difficult to improve uh, cellulite, but we are hoping to have a machine soon that is the <laughs> oh, only FDA-approved so, machine. Right. Cellulite is a totally <laughs> different problem. It's um, it's basically you have interstices of fibrous tissue underneath your skin mm-hmm. that are um, a little bit tighter than the fat that wants to bulge out from it. So the cellulite is kind of the bulging fat. Okay. Um, so if you end up doing more liposuction in those areas, uh, it can worsen the situation oh, wow. with saggy skin yeah. as well. And cause more irregularities. Yeah. So careful. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Good to know. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys did mention some things about prevention. Besides sunscreen, what other kind of skin care would you recommend? So we have things like a vitamin C serum, and those sort of reverse the uh, aging signs and also so early signs of aging as well as prior sun damage that has already been done. Um, and you want to keep your skin hydrated. And there's also anti-aging um, solutions like a retinoic acid, um, things that you would use at night uh, to help um, increase your cell turnover and the production of collagen. And those uh, retinoic acids are very helpful with that. Okay. Yeah, I think skincare for a lot of people can be very overwhelming. There are mm-hmm. a million products on the market, so it's really hard to sift through them and uh, figure out what you need for your own skin. So mm-hmm. I would say if I were to whittle it down to maybe three or four things that everybody needs mm-hmm. beyond just the normal uh, normal cleansing and moisturizer, I would say uh, I agree with Dr. Fliss, the retinoic acid, tretinoin, uh, that increases cell turnover and collagen formation. You need vitamin C or antioxidant serum so you can prevent um, photo aging and photo damage and also uh, smooth over your complexion, particularly if you have mm-hmm. dark spots. Mm-hmm. You need, I would say, hyaluronic acid is pretty good just for hydration because okay. you need to get those fine lines and wrinkles out by just hydrating. Um, and finally, sunscreen, the, be- the best thing. Nice. <laughs> Best and and you guys, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you guys do offer a lot of these products in your office. Is yeah. that right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. We really tried to simplify it for our patients. And uh, instead of offering 10 different lotions, we have, you know, one specific one for the face that we recommend. Awesome. One for early signs of aging, one for more uh, advanced aging. And so we really 
uh, can tailor everything to the patient's needs and, and make it simple for them. That is very helpful. It is very overwhelming to try to figure it out on your own. For sure. Yeah, you walk into Sephora and it's like, oh man, <laughs> it's a whole wall of... But <laughs> fancy, pretty things. Yeah, right. <laughs> it all smells so good too. Yep. Tempting. <laughs> and do you do like the things you hear about like microblading and chemical peels and those kinds of things in your office as well? So we don't do that specifically ourselves, but we do have um, a med spa or aesthetic medical spa upstairs, Mm -hmm. and we have wonderful estheticians who can help with those those procedures. Great. That's awesome. So we really appreciate you guys just coming here and talking to us. I don't know. Do you have any more questions that... I think you've done a great job of answering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... Again, just thank you so much for being so willing to talk about some of these topics that not everyone necessarily talks about. Um, But anyone that wants to kind of follow you guys and just hear more about what you do, how would we find you on social media? Good question. (laughs) Yes, and thank you so much for having us. So my Instagram is at Dr. Diana Fliss. And my uh, Facebook is either Diana Fliss or uh, I have a page, Dr. Diana Fliss. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm on Instagram as Shoshana MD Plastic Surgery. So just okay. search for me there. Uh, on Facebook, I haven't worked on that yet, but I will get there. Uh, we do have a plastic surgery Facebook page, I believe, or something like that. Okay, <laughs> nice. You can find us as well. Very cool. So what kind of stuff do you guys share on your social media? Are you just sharing like about new things that you're trying out and I mean what can someone expect to to see when they follow you guys you can see a couple judicious before and afters nice um maintaining patient privacy of course of course uh, but also just daily life as a plastic surgeon as a female plastic surgeon nice. as a surgeon mom things like that very cool well I think that we've kind of covered everything that we wanted to. And again, thank you so much for um, for joining us today. If you want to hear more of our podcasts, visit henryford.com slash podcast. Or you can subscribe um, via iTunes or Anchor or any other ways that you get your podcasts. So again, Dr. Mbani, Dr. Fliss, and Dawn, thank you all so much. Thank you, too. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much for having us.